I think there's there's two there's two things going on. I think there's more awareness of what it takes to be off grid, and then the other is some of these tiny houses are getting larger and larger. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 174 with Sean Burke. The first time I met Sean, he was sketching tiny houses in a sketchbook at a speaker dinner after a tiny house conference, and I'm so glad to have him on the podcast all these years later. Sean is an active member of Tiny House Engage, my online community where he does monthly design reviews of various members' tiny house designs, and he is a professional architect. So we are going to talk about his design philosophies as well as the tiny house that he is just about finished building. This is a home that he designed and then built himself. We'll talk about how to build affordably in 2021 and beyond, uh, some ways that tiny houses can go wrong, and a whole lot more. So I hope you stick around for the interview because it's a good one. I'd like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Precision Temp. Precision Temp is making one product to solve two issues that I know everyone deals with in a tiny house, running out of hot water and heating your tiny house. Precision Temp has made the amazing Twin Temp Junior propane tankless water heater, which provides unlimited hot water for your tiny house and hydronic heating. This means you get warm, heated floors so there are no cold spots. It's designed specifically for tiny houses and features whisper quiet operation as well as high efficiency. If you want more information on how Precision Temp can help make living tiny easier and more comfortable, visit precisiontemp.com. While you're there, use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. That website again is precisiontemp.com, coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. I am here with Sean Burke. Sean Burke is a registered architect in Washington State and has a passion for resilient design. He is an advocate of design-based activism and housing justice. Sean has been a presenter at the Tiny House Jamboree in Colorado on the topic of designing for wellness. He's an organizer of a local tiny house meetup group and has volunteered time to help others build. He currently works remotely for an international architecture firm from his own tiny studio and can be often found baking sourdough pizzas just north of Seattle in the scenic Pacific Northwest. Sean Burke, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Glad glad that you could be with us. Um, yeah. I guess my first question for you is, um, what, what is resilient design? Can you, can you kind of define that for us? Sure. I sort of liken it to the next step in thinking regarding sustainable design. Okay. If sustainable design is all about finding things that are on balance with nature, uh-huh. resilient design is, is, is doing two different things. It's going beyond that a little bit, looking at being net positive, carbon new, not just carbon neutral, but net positive, for instance. Okay. But also being 
climate positive, mm. ecologically positive, as well as being able to adapt to changing situations around you. You know, we're, we're seeing extreme heat. We're seeing extreme flooding in parts of the world as well. And so, you know, different ways of being able to address those, those sorts of topics. Wow. Specifically focused around my interests are focused around housing, but mm -hmm. in my day job, we do a lot of different building types. We work on, you know, corporate offices, we work on uh, hospitals, university, you know, projects, things like that. They're all quite large. <laughs> yeah. On contrast, I wanted to, uh, when I started working on designing this space, you know, this is the smallest space I've designed that has come to be. Nice. Well, that's, there's so much there just in resilient design that I want to talk about. I mean, what immediately came to mind is, you know, somebody puts solar panels on their house and they, you know, they spin the, the electric meter backwards. So they actually feed the grid. Right. But I'm guessing when you think about it from a design perspective, from the very start, you can, you can do a lot more than just be, you know, just spin the electric meter backwards. Yeah, for sure. You're, you're thinking about things in terms of like where are the materials coming that we're you know we're sourced to build the project mm -hmm. how it uses concepts like biomimicry to to kind of use some of the the natural systems that deal with changing seasons and and weather and and reimagining those systems as the built environment it could potentially, you know, change the way that buildings look, but also how they behave. Cool. How does that play out in, in tiny house design? Because I would imagine that there are some, there are some limitations with, with a tiny house of what, what you can do in that area and that arena. Right. right. Uh, so, and some of the, the, the most exciting design opportunities are, when you have lots of constraints, obviously tiny house on wheels, which is what uh, my platform is built on. You've got the dimensions of that, of that, uh, that frame yeah, and maximum heights and that sort of thing. So what can you do within those bounds? That's both creative and inspiring to the occupants as well as, you know, reduce your energy consumption, for instance. So one of the examples of that is I've next to me here, uh, I don't have any of the uh, artificial lights turned on today, even though it's a very overcast day and it's, it's unseasonably cold out, <laughs> huh. even though uh, Pacific Northwest had massive heat waves recently. We got our first rain in, in the last, I don't know, five weeks or so. Oh, wow. So most of the daylight that's coming in is coming from my, what I'm calling the nook, which is a little window seat area. And it's the window is, uh, is five foot by five and a half foot tall, single opening with, uh, with double insulated gla glass. Mm -hmm. And in, in my current situation where I'm parked now, it's not ideal uh, as far as orientation to the sun. But the idea is that in the wintertime, that would be where most of the light would be coming in. And uh, there's a slight overhang over that window to block the sun in the summer. 
so that you don't get the direct, you know, heat gain. Yeah. Cool. So we get the benefits of natural light, but um, it's, it's sort of, it's responding to its environment. Awesome. One thing that, that I'm kind of thinking about is, is like, as you know, in the midst of all these crazy climate events that are now becoming commonplace, we have to start thinking about, you know, what will the climate be in 10 or 20 years? Because, you know, this building that I'm building now will certainly still be standing then. And, you know, are my insulation needs different or do I need to think about, is it going to get too hot? But we've been doing that in tiny house on wheels design for a while because the house could be moved and we, we need to potentially design for a different location. Yeah, exactly. My current, you know, situation where I, where I'm, I'm parked with, with two other tiny houses. So there's uh-huh. three of us in a little caravan circle, which is, which is great. It's, it's very, it's very, uh, community building. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. And, um, the thought is, is that this could be parked in the mountains or at the ocean mm-hmm. in the future. And so I had to think about, okay, what, what happens in, uh, in, in winter when you're actually in a mountain and you're getting, you know, more snow versus being in a more of a marine environment. Yep. So yeah, having to plan what that wall system is going to look like, how it's going to both keep out the weather and also deal with any moisture and vapor mm-hmm. that might be generated from inside. So I thought about a lot of those things. So there's a lot of systems that are built in a lot. Many of them are quite opaque to people when they first come into the tiny house, because I've made the technology kind of disappear. So, you know, you can see like the walls are all paneled with, uh, with, thin plywood yep. and reveals. And so some of those are actually, you know, like, um, you know, the old sci-fi uh, TV shows where they, there's like a little panel in the ship yep. and they, they pop it off and there's stuff back there. Yeah. So I wanted to hide as much of that as I could to, to sort of make it feel uh, like a neutral space and it can, you know, transform to whatever the needs are of the, of the uh, use. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Bento Studio. Sure. And that is the name of your of your your tiny studio. Yeah. We met, I don't even remember how many years ago, but many years ago at a tiny house conference. And I remember that you were sketching at dinner with the other <laughs> presenters. You were sketching tiny houses in a little notebook. Um, so it's, this has been a long time in the making, right? It's been a long time in the making. This is not the first one that I've uh, started. Okay. This will be the first one that I've finished. <laughs> when you say started, you mean you've actually started building tinies and then decided not to? Well, I had a, uh, I had a, a life opportunity uh, that I could not pass up, uh, which presented itself to me in uh-huh. 2016, uh, uh, late, late 2016. Okay the company I work for had an opening in their London office and uh, I was halfway through building my, my original tiny house, which was called Bento box. And it was a, uh, it was a shipping container conversion. Okay. 
So a little bit larger than this one. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. <laughs> um, and there's some things that I would have done differently had I designed that now. But when that opportunity to move to London came up, I was like, hmm, do I stay and finish the tiny house? Or do I, you know, get someone else to put it in storage? Yeah. So ultimately, I took the job opportunity. I, I moved there for three years. I sold that as it was. Uh, and then uh, a couple bought it and they moved it to Oregon. Cool. Yeah. I don't know what happened to it since though. All right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I was going to, I was about to ask you, do you know what happened to it? I have no idea. No idea. All right. Yeah. So when I came back here, it was actually three weeks before uh, Washington state went into lockdown. Oh boy. So last February was when I moved back to, to home. The same property. Um, I, you know, I'm living with, I'm sure you know who they are. Maybe your listeners do as well. It was Chris and Melissa Tack. Yep. They built their tiny house about 10 years ago. Um, and they lived in it for about four, four or five years on a farm. They had rented some property. And then I had met them at a book signing or um, a tiny house conference in Portland or North yep. Carolina or <laughs> one of the many, right? One of the many. And so we, we became fast friends and they invited me to, to come here on the property and add my tiny house to their little collection. Nice. So, yeah. You got to love when tiny house parking finds you exactly. instead of the other way around. I was, I was shocked. Honestly. It's something <laughs> that so many people struggle with. Yeah. I, cause I was in North Seattle originally with the first one building yeah. it in a family member's driveway. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And actually I, Melissa was a guest on the show, uh, which that would be episode 98. We talked about how the tiny house helped to kind of support the growing family and then continues to support them through Airbnb income, or at least at the For time sure. of recording um, it did. And that would be um, episode 98. So if anybody after this one, obviously they can go to uh, the tiny house.net slash zero nine eight and hear our conversation with Melissa. And I think she even mentions that somebody's building a tiny house in her, in her backyard right now. <laughs> so um, the Bento studio. Yeah. Just by the name, I'm, I'm assuming that it is not where you live. Not yet. Not okay. Yet. Uh, I'm calling it a studio for many different reasons. You know, I could have called it a tiny house. Uh -huh. I could have called it, you know, um, whatever. Yeah. But I think of like the, the word studio kind of evokes a certain emotion in a lot of people. You think about it in terms of uh, an urban loft or a place where you can go to create art or. Yeah. Or, um, you know, post workshops or just kind of, it becomes very flexible, right? Yeah. And I also didn't want to build a loft to sleep in. So mm -hmm. I wanted uh, it to be very open space. The great room to the, to the right of me here is like seven feet by 10 feet. If you count the little extension of the nook. Uh-huh. So it's quite large and it's nine and a half feet tall. So you get lots of room and everything. And 
the sofa will basically just be a pullout uh-huh. pull bed. Cool. So I wanted a place where I could do architecture, I could do art, I could play music. You know, if someone wanted to use it to teach a yoga class, great. But yeah, I'll be I'll be moving into it um, in just a couple of weeks. Um, awesome. It's really just it's just fit and finish kind of stuff to do interior paneling and some siding. And that's basically it. You know, some of the storage solutions will come later. I've got some kind of hidden compartments to to build. But uh, awesome. Yeah. And what is the what is the overall length of the of the Bento Studio? It's on a 14-foot trailer uh-huh. that was built by Iron Eagle in okay. Portland. Great quality. It maximum capacity is 10,000 uh, pounds. Nice. It's about 110 square feet finished. Uh, and, and it feels a little bit larger than the 14-foot trailer because there's a cantilever off the back for the nook. And then also the front edge of the where the kitchen is over the over the tongue of the trailer uh that wall slopes forward at uh an angle that matches the roof so it's a single shed roof that goes over the whole thing as well okay yeah and um and the budget for it um not including the the future upgrades to put solar panels or things like that but um as it will be in you know in the next couple of weeks yeah the budget was 30,000 30, for materials, not including my labor. But that number was selected because it's less than the average rent of a one bedroom flat in London. For the year. The year. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the idea is that, you know, this thing pays, it, pays itself off pretty quickly. Right. And I get a place where I can work, uh, live and cook and entertain. That's awesome. And so were you able to complete it under budget? I haven't added up all the receipts yet. And I okay. was really good at first, like, yeah. like everyone, you know, uh, you put them all and you categorize them and things like that. So they're in a digital shoebox right now. They're yeah. inside of Notion and I need to actually get them into a database. to. Yeah, yeah. Separate out all the costs. But I think it's pretty close. That's awesome. I mean, the cost of lumber really, really skyrocketed last year. Yeah. And most of my, you know, besides the framing. Yeah. Uh, all of the interior finishes are, are plywood or maple or, um, you know, things that are available local. Yeah. Um, But. They use smaller caliber trees, so those prices didn't really go up as much as like you know heavy timber kind of construction, yeah. which is some of the stuff that we're trying to do now to be more sustainable in my in my day job. Yeah. So we're seeing that. Yeah. Can you? I, this is like a really nerdy question, but um, I've having been around, well, having built one and then having been around tiny houses for almost 10 years now and seeing tiny houses that are a few years old having issues, I'm curious if you could um, walk us through your, you know, building envelope, like what insulation you used, what sheathing, what house wrap, all that kind of stuff. And just maybe 
if you could talk a little bit about why you chose what you did. For sure. Yeah. I know a number of my colleagues are certified in the passive house standard. Okay. Which is something that I know you've talked about on some, with some of your other guests. Yeah. I'm trying to build it to passive house kind of standards, which is exceeding the uh, the the most stringent uh, local codes here. I'm not actually in the city of Seattle, but in case I ever needed to park it there and uh-huh. get it, you know, permitted back, I wanted to exceed their energy code in Seattle. So in order to do that, I had to think about one of two different paths. There's either a prescriptive mode or a performance-based mode. Okay. Prescriptive mode says, you know, your floors have to be whatever RX and walls have to be R22 or Mm -hmm. ceiling has to be R38 or something like that. Wow. So I kind of went with the prescriptive mode because I didn't want to spend the additional monies to do performance-based testing and come in here with a blower door test and that sort of thing. Okay. So I got it kind of like for a first time, you know, build, (laughs) I've been drawing this kind of stuff for years. Um, I've been, you know, uh, working in the field of architecture for 27 years now, but the first time I've actually physically put everything together. So I had to Uh do a lot of research. And one of the resources that I turned to first to figure out what materials I should use Uh was I went to the 475 high performance building website. Yeah. And so I got a lot of materials from them. So the interior air barrier is uh, vapor permeable Mm -hmm. in one direction. Um, That's in uh, Intel OX is the name of that product. It's very heavy and it's perforated to allow uh, moisture to come through so that if water gets into the wall system, it can dry both to the inside and then the outside has uh, a mento. 1000 for for the the entire wrap the house wrap okay and that's also vapor permeable but out but out yeah okay yeah it stops rain from coming in but if vapor gets trapped behind it it can escape okay and it's wood frame construction and everything is you know tied to the trailer and Mm -hmm. the roof is tied down with hurricane ties the insulation is Primarily, I wanted to avoid foam wherever I could mm-hmm. and avoid direct contact of wood to the trailer wherever I could, mm-hmm. because those are places where you know moisture can get trapped. So it's rock wool just about everywhere, mm-hmm. except for there's one inch of uh, polyiso board between the framing and the, and the trailer on the, okay. on the bottom. Just sandwiched in there. Yeah, it's just sitting because there's basically a um, metal pan that's installed, a uh, galvanized metal pan that's installed over the framing members of the trailer when mm-hmm. they deliver it. That's an option that they that they uh, provide. Yeah. Uh, and that prevents, you know, any pests from coming up in living in your floor. And so because that's all metal, I didn't want my floor joists to just rest right on that. Yeah. So I put down the foam first, then I laid in my, my floor joists and they're mm-hmm. all tied to the, the horizontal 
supports on the perimeter, the rim yep. joists on the perimeter of the trailer. So it's everything's hung off of that. Yeah, that's pretty much um, the envelope. And then everything that goes beyond the envelope is, is they're strapping over the rock wool. Okay. There's rigid board rock wool on the outside. So you've got a rain screen system. So there's the two by four construction yep. with the weather barrier. And then there's another inch and a half of rock wool board on the outside of that to get your R value up to where it needs to be. Got it. And then there's strapping on the outside of that. And then the siding is attached. Okay. So that is that rock wool board your sheathing or does is the strapping that does the sheathing? No, there's there's actually plywood sheathing, okay. tongue and groove plywood sheathing on the okay. outside for for sheer strength. Yeah. Okay, got it. So that's quite that's quite a, a sandwich of layers. It's it's a big wall system, and on yeah. the interior, because I didn't want to bury all of my my plumbing pipes and my electrical inside of the wall system, mm-hmm. and have that both a take up you know all the junction boxes take up precious insulation space yeah i built a service cavity on the inside wow so there's strapping on the interior too before that siding goes up before the um, the interior paneling goes up fascinating so it's between three quarters and, and an inch and a half depending on what what's there yeah so can you say what the passive house wall r value is again uh it or, depends on where okay. you are in the world but for where you are but the the most the most important part of the passive house standard is is controlling airflow so that it's not you don't have leaks yeah in so the envelope's very tight yeah so the uh, the intello x air barrier on the interior is one of the most critical components to get right Right. You can't accidentally pierce it. You can't pierce it when you're putting in your electrical and things yeah, like that. So, yeah. so that's one of the reasons why the strapping is there. So then if if the strapping is regularly spaced, then, mm-hmm. you know, if I wanted to hang a picture on the wall, I, I could do that as long as the nails were not too long and then they're not going to puncture the air barrier. Right. Right. Yeah. And then there's, there's active ventilation. So there's a, there's a Lunos E squared system so one is pushing air in the other one's pushing air out right right and that that becomes very very important in a in a tight build as well yeah and when the weather is nice i turn that off i open the windows yep yep so forgive me if you said this already did you go over width or are you within are you eight and a half on the outside um eight foot five and three quarters wow so it's (laughs) You know, it must be a fairly small space on the inside, you know, after those, you know, thick wall assemblies and then the um, the service cavity. It doesn't feel that thick uh, or that that small inside. Mm-hmm. So I've got seven foot clear. OK. In the great room um, and then in other places where I didn't need to build the service cavity, it's part of the cabinet. And there's a lot of cabinetry, you know, on this side. Yeah. And I built the bathroom, you know, kind of as if it was a cabinet as well. So it's not framed in. It's just three-quarter inch plywood that's framed 
to the floor and to its supports above. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, like, the interior of a tiny house build is just, like, one giant cabinet job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's why it takes so long. Yeah. So, yeah, how long, when did you start construction of the Bento Studio? One year and one and a half weeks ago on July 7th. All right. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. The winter time I really slowed down cuz yeah. It's just it's just tough anyway. Yeah. 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 Well, very cool. Congratulations. I've been I've been Thank enjoying you. seeing photos of it. Um you're you're actually a member of Tiny House Engage. Yes. And so it's been cool to follow your your progress there. And you've actually been doing um, some of the most popular events in the community, I would say, are design reviews, where you actually, you know, take a look at somebody's design, whether it's a sketch on a piece of paper or, you know, a full-blown SketchUp model and kind of talk through it. Mm -hmm. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the sponsor for today's show, Precision Temp. One of the hardest things about being in my tiny house in the winter is that the floors are really cold. And I could have solved that problem by adding more insulation, but the reality is that a tiny house on a trailer is always going to have cold floors or much colder floors than you're used to if you are coming from a house that has a basement or is even built on a slab. So the Precision Temp Twin Temp Junior Propane Tankless Water Heater can actually help solve this problem because you can install heated floors in your house. And you can do it with the same appliance that provides you with unlimited hot water. So the Twin Temp Junior really does solve two issues with one appliance, which, let's be honest, in a tiny house, space matters, cost matters, and just being more intentional. So you get to use one appliance for two purposes. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP at checkout. Head over to their website, precisiontemp.com, for more information on how Precision Temp can help make tiny living easier and more comfortable. And while you're there, be sure to use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thanks so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. I'm curious if you if there are any... Um... Any trends that you're seeing in tiny house design or any, any things that you, you kind of have noticed have, have been changing and that are manifesting themselves in, in current tiny house builds? I think there's, there's, two, there's two things going on. I, I think there's more awareness of what it takes to be off-grid successfully, um, whether your goals are, are the environment or just for your own comfort. I think just in general that is becoming more and more more popular. And then the other is some of these tiny houses are getting larger and larger uh, <laughs> to the point where some folks are building them as as if they're fifth wheels, you know, 30, 40 feet long, and mm -hmm. the budgets are, are skyrocketing as well. But I think... In some ways, that's kind of keeping pace with the trends of real estate in general. Yeah. Like here, when I first moved to the Washington State area, um, I don't know, almost 15 years ago, you know, real estate was 
it was high, but it was still within reach for some, for many, I should mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And now it, it's, it's gotten crazy. I think the average cost of a house back then was in Seattle was about $475,000. And now it's close to 900. Wow. That's the average cost. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So (laughs) the $30,000 is like the taxes for one year on a yeah, no, well, maybe no. yeah, it's not even a deposit. Yeah, yeah, not even a deposit. And that's you know, I think that what I've noticed is that it is still possible to to build a tiny house affordably, especially if you if you do the work yourself and you don't think about paying yourself for that time that you've spent just in right. dollars outlaid. You can right. still do it affordably, but a lot of times you see a trade off between the performance of the building and the quality of the materials mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. to hit that less expensive house goal. Yeah. And I think what's what's really great about the Bento studio is that you are building it to very high standards and using high performance building materials. You know, those mm-hmm. those uh the Mento and the Intello X are both, you know, high performance and also they're not cheap uh, no, building materials. No. And, um, and when you have to buy a second roll, you're like, Oh, oh yeah. I can, you sell, can you sell the rest <laughs> of the roll? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, we're trying to, you know, as a, as a collective here, we're trying to yeah. determine what to do with some of the leftover materials. Yeah. Like what's our next project. Build but a, you're really, right. a passive yeah. chicken coop. Yeah, we have a fancy <laughs> workshop next door, yeah. which is where a lot of the tools are stored because there's no garage on the property. But okay. what I will say is that I'm only building this for about maybe 10% more if you if you adjust for inflation uh-huh. than the tax built uh their house for. I think oh. their I think theirs was around 22,000, which would be in today's dollars about 25 to 26. Okay. okay. So yeah, I think uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't cost a lot more to do a high performance building when it's the small. Yeah. Because, you know, those systems only take up so much space and I didn't, I didn't go for triple pane windows from some fancy company in, you know, Poland, like a lot of yeah. people have been doing because the really high end kind of, uh, passive house certified windows are very expensive yeah so i kind of went with an upgraded marvin window which which is you know it's a beautiful window it's wood uh on the interior and clad aluminum on the outside and it's got Mm -hmm. a good thermal break yeah so i haven't you know seen any moisture collect on the interior nice uh and it you know it went through a pretty mild winter last year but uh you know there's there's things like that to cons- to consider your when you're when you're planning is is um you go you go for something less expensive what are you sacrificing as a result of that yeah yeah but i think my heating costs last you know while i was building i've got uh, uh just a single 2 foot by 4 foot thin um ceramic panel radiant heater on the ceiling yep my most expensive month was about $26 of electricity nice. for that thing. 
Cool. So the radiant panel is that um, is the idea there that you heat the the people and the objects rather than the air? Yeah, yeah. It's an infrared heat, um, and so it feels like you. It's it's like the when you walk under it, it's like the difference between standing in the shade and walking under the sun. Uh-huh. You kind of you really feel it, kind of being absorbed by your clothing and, yeah. and skin. It's so comfortable. It's, it's just That's it's nice. very gentle. And I can leave the thermostat set to about 62 degrees and it will feel like it's 70. Hmm. Um, when Fascinating. You're in that space. Yeah, it's great. And it, they're, they're not terrible electricity hogs either. No, not at all. This one is 450 watts. Yeah. Yeah. Now, would a system like that be able to, like, keep your pipes from freezing in the winter? Or would, would, like, I'm kind of envisioning, okay, I'm in Vermont. It's, like, zero degrees outside. If I wanted to go that route in my tiny house or in a future tiny house, um, would I still need to bring, basically, warm air into the cabinets to keep my plumbing warm? Yeah, it's a good question. Um... I've got, you know, simple, inexpensive thermometers that I have yeah. around the, the the space just to sort of monitor those kinds of things. Right. Probably by the time we get around to next winter, when I actually do have mm-hmm. stuff in my cabinets, <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to verify that. But, um. Yeah, I've kept the the cabinet design very simple, and yeah. um, instead of putting hardware for pulls, I routed out uh, a, a hole so that you can grab it with your hand. Cool. So there's there's room for airflow in, in that design. That's cool. So that's one of the yeah. things I was thinking about. Yeah. Neat, neat. Um, is there any? I mean, I'm assuming since you you are going to live there, you will have some kind of kitchen as well. Yeah, yeah, it's actually quite a large kitchen for a tiny house. It's yeah. it's, it's got 10 feet of counter space. Nice. Um <laughs> it's a little L shape um and uh you know, I think the kitchen is about a third of the 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 whole tiny house right now. Yeah. Cuz there's like there's little opportunities like if you kind of if you slide the composting toilet Mm-hmm. back a little bit then you've got space over the over the back of it to build like a little slide in pantry uh-huh uh-huh and and that sort of thing and like the apartment style refrigerator is lifted off the floor so there's more space underneath it uh so you know i i kind of thought about like how to like tetris myself into this place <laughs> cuz i'm you know really big into cooking and um that was that was a big consideration. Yeah, yeah. And then, in terms of a sleep space, um, is there is there a loft? No loft. Um, it's a sofa mm-hmm. that pulls out, and it's I haven't built that yet. Okay. <laughs> so the um uh, the mattresses fold up. They're little futon mattresses that are three and a half inches thick. Uh huh. They've got a uh, a latex core, so they're really really firm but supportive. Mm-hmm. And so the sofa can pull out in, in a configuration where you've got 
uh, a single or um, or both pulled out. And cool. it's essentially it's called a it's called a stow, the size of it. But when both of them are pulled out, it's the size of a queen size bed. Nice. And then if I wanted to have a another guest sleep over, they could sleep in the nook as well as as long as they're under five feet. <laughs> so who make is is that who makes that sofa? That sounds like ideal for a tiny house. Oh, the uh, the mattress itself was made by uh, White Lotus uh, Company in New Jersey. Okay. And they all of the stuff that they do is either natural fibers. Uh huh. And then you and you also have the option to do or uh, fully organic as well. Cool. Okay. So then you're just building the the actual pullout mechanism. The frame. The yeah. Frame. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, very cool. I um, I'm I've enjoyed the photos that I've seen. Um, you know, you posted to Facebook and and you've uh, you've shared some with me as well that I'll put on the show notes page for the episode so people can take a look. Great. There was actually another um, another concept that I think you shared on your on your Facebook page that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Um, and I'll just read. I'll read your caption. Um, what if a carbon neutral tiny house made from prefabricated CLT cross laminated timber could be assembled in a weekend with the interior ready to move in and insulated panels attached to the exterior in a day? Designed in thirty minutes on an iPad, this hundred twenty square foot loft. Plus loft could be your next home office or studio. Um, cool. <laughs> I know. I was just kind of horsing around with, yeah. with um, uh, I was using a tool called Formit by Autodesk. Okay. And I've been a big fan of that for a while. It's uh, sort of a competitor to SketchUp, if you will. Okay. Like it's a little sim- uh, but it's simpler. Can... Yeah. A lot less tools, but, yeah. um, but it's very powerful. And nice. And it works in conjunction with the professional tools that I use. Right. Yeah. So the the idea behind that, and initially it started off as a as an April Fool's joke, but I as I got into it, I was like, you know what, I can I could probably do like ten of these in an hour, and I just like made a copy of it, and I made a couple other designs that I haven't quite shared yet. Nice. But there's this trend right now where we're trying to get away from, you know a lot of the materials that go into, you know, we were talking about just now the systems that go into building my walls. Yeah. It involves a lot of different suppliers, a lot of different costs, a lot of labor. Yeah. And one of the ways that we can make our buildings more sustainable is looking for renewable resources to put into them. And so mm-hmm. cross laminated timber construction has has been very popular in Europe for a number of years, and it's only really just starting to take off in the u s because the cost of concrete and steel are rising, and their carbon footprints are massive really high yeah uh when you build with with wood, it's carbon positive because uh the trees sequester carbon while they're growing and as long as you don't burn it, you know, that carbon stays there. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of factories that are popping up kind of mom and pop shops that uh, can do cross laminated timber construction. And, and some of them 
are more advanced than others, but um, it's essentially like a large sheet of plywood if you if mm-hmm. you think about it that way. And I've toured some of these in the past where it it just gets tilted up with a crane. Yeah. And and then you've you've got your interior finishes are done. Um, you don't have to think about them beyond that. The interior walls are done. They're just wood. They're just wood. Yeah. And you can seal them. You can paint them. You can do whatever you want with them. And generally the windows and doors are already installed in those panels when they're tilted up. Okay. So to weatherproof them, you either, they're either spray applied with a waterproofing membrane. Mm -hmm. You then finish them out like you would a typical rain screen system. Mm -hmm. And so it's very fast. Yeah. It could. With scale, with a factory that could build these things, because the the machining equipment doesn't really care about how complex those cuts are. Right. It's just a matter of how many cuts does it have to make and how quickly can it produce panels in an hour. Uh, as it, you know, kind of rolls through, if it's very optimized, the cost of construction could drop significantly. So you yeah. get that benefit and you also get the environmental impact as well but i suppose the downside of that is we've got to make sure that that lumber is harvested sustainably as well yeah just clear cut an entire forest right right i think i even had someone on the show um who who builds with with clts um how does insulation work because you know the solid wood or the it's not solid wood but the cross laminated timber Mm-hmm. probably doesn't have much insulation value on its own. Yeah. And there's a couple of different systems that are out there. One is it's solid timber. Usually, usually it's three layers uh-huh. glued together. Okay. But some of them are more like SIPs. Okay. So there's actually a, a panel of insulation in between. And, you know, I've kind of, I think it just depends on the use yeah, and what's available in the area. Mm-hmm. They're both good systems, but I think by focusing on moving all the insulation to the, to the exterior, you get lots of benefits for, you know, sound reduction or um, moisture reduction. Yeah. Everything that gets generated inside stays inside uh-huh. and the panel kind of like, you know, acclimatizes to that. Yeah. So I think it's, it's great that because it's, it's really reducing the complexity of construction. Yeah. 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 Well, they look really cool and it's something that I'm excited to see be applied to, to tiny houses. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine they're quite heavy. So maybe not tiny houses on trailers. Exactly. Yeah, I'm uh, probably with the heavy kind of like layers of uh, all the different interventions of systems that I've put on this one. I've, I'm probably pretty close to my my weight limit on the trailer. Do you plan to get it weighed? Like most people, I'm like, no, no, just don't tell me. Yeah, I've <laughs> I've never weighed my house. Yeah, there is a weigh station nearby. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it on country roads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's always the have. thing is like, okay, if it's if it is in fact ten thousand pounds, like 
I'm sure you don't own a vehicle that can move it. Maybe you do, but no, um, no. So it's a, it's a big deal to move a tiny house. It's not just like, uh, Oh, I think I'll take the tiny down to the scales today. <laughs> you have to be like disconnect stuff. Yeah. You have to be willing to, uh, take a lot of risks. Yeah. 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 Cause moving, moving the previous one was a sketchy situation to, to say the least. Yeah. Oh, I'm, it was well, a friend. Yeah. yeah. It was a friend who moved it and, uh, and they had a suburban, you know, which is basically a, a three quarter ton capacity. And it was, it was struggling. Yeah. To stop that trailer on some hills. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's a little scary. <laughs> Uh, anyway anyhow make sure you hire a professional <laughs> yes yes and that your trailer has brakes yes um well sean burke thank you so much uh for taking the time to to chat today yeah thank you it's been a pleasure one thing that i just like to ask all my guests when when applicable is um do you have any any book or other resource recommendations on on design or tiny house building or just Anything that's inspired you lately that you can share with our audience? Wow. Um, you know, I will say it's not a book, but um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a company in, um, in Europe um, called Codacima. They've been around for a number of years, but they're really mature now. So they've got like five different models. Their first one that they built was, it's about 350 to 400 square feet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's prefabricated in a factory, similar to what we were talking about. You know, you know trying to f- reduce the costs, make these things really uh, accessible, plug and play, if you will. Yeah. And then they came out with a, a wood version of that. That's that's CLT and and more well insulated, but it's also much lighter to transport. Mm-hmm. You know, they've put them on barges. They've put them uh, you know, on properties all around Europe and the UK. And nice. I stayed in one in Tallinn, which was, was fantastic. It was a little, like, hotel, if you will, that they set up temporarily in a parking lot. It was very, very comfortable. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'll give you the link to that. If, yeah. Uh, if Please, do. Please do. Please do. It's always interesting, like, I love looking to Europe and seeing the building things that they're doing there because it seems like they got on board with sustainability requirements a lot yeah, yeah. before we did. And yet, like, the tiny house movement in, in the, you know, the sense that we're talking about it, like little houses built on trailers, is so, is, is much more developed here in terms mm. of the legal landscape and the numbers of the sheer numbers of people who are doing it. And so it's like, it's almost, there could be some symbiosis. Yeah. On the, I think on the other scale of things, there are, there are some small companies. There's a co- company in my city where I live now in Everett, Washington called Pallet. Yeah. They make shelters for the homeless mm-hmm. and they're super simple, like aluminum and um, fiberglass. They're not, the most attractive but they are really functional and they're Mm -hmm. they've kept their costs extremely low 
so that if charities or government organizations want to buy a bunch of these to help get people, you know, off the streets and into something that's safe and, you know, with dignity, it's much better than sleeping in a tent. Yeah. So there's those options. And then there's a company in California called Jupe uh, that I'm following now. Mm-hmm. That's uh, That was started by Professor Dumpster. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of like a tent on a platform. Uh-huh. It's kind of interesting to see because, you know, if you can build the platform to be modular, then whatever goes on top of it could be different. Yeah. Depending on what your needs are. Neat. So that's a that's a really cool thing to keep an eye on. Kind of like the, you know, if Apple was designing tiny homes, that, that would yeah. be. Yeah. Cool. Well, those are those are two more great um, recommendations to to check out, and and as always, the everything that we've talked about, as long as I can find it, will be on the uh, on the show notes page for this episode. Um, and I'm I'm gonna bug you. I'm gonna try to get you to send me a diagram of your wall system. Yes. So that people can visualize it. <laughs> I have, I have actually have some detailed uh, cross section. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. My website is kind of in development right now still, but it'll go live in the next few weeks and I will, uh, I'll be teasing more details from the project and eventually, um, I'll, I'll sell plans if someone wanted to build another one similar to it. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Sean Burke, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was, this was a great conversation. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you so much to Sean Burke for being a guest on the show today. As always, you can find a complete transcript for this episode, links to Sean's website, and images of the Bento Studio at thetinyhouse.net slash 174. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 174. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.